I'm Catherine Buxton and since discovering the joy of meditation in my late 30s, I've been on a journey of self-discovery that has introduced me to some fascinating ideas. Join me as I take a deeper dive into the areas of our well-being that we just don't give enough attention to. Would our lives really be any better if we took our well-being seriously? Each week I'll be joined by a well-being specialist to unpick the value of sleep, nutrition, kindness and so much more. This is Things You Should Care About podcast in association with isborn.org. So welcome to Things You Should Care About podcast with me, Catherine Buxton, in association with the isborn.org. I'm here this morning on a very cold February morning 2021 uh, with the lovely Amy Tyndale. Amy, thank you very much for coming and joining us today. Uh, so you're living all the way in Essex and I'm all the way in Cheltenham so we're brought together by the power of Zoom which is uh, wonderful. Have you been doing lots of Zoom meetings Amy? I have yeah I'm a pro on that now like we all are right? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, it still catches me out occasionally though sometimes when they do an upgrade. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about yourself, Amy, and what happened to you over the last uh, few years. Yeah, thank you, Catherine. Nice to meet you. Um, I guess I'm like my experience in the last year has been all about cancer, really. Um, and kind of, yeah, cancer and mental health and healing is what I've been doing for the last two years, really. Yeah. So how did uh, how did the cancer diagnosis come about? What happened? Yeah, it was quite complicated. Um, and I think lots of people's experiences are quite complicated, actually, and sort of, you know, different misdiagnoses and, and, and that sort of thing. I think, yeah, it can be a very complicated story. And I think mine was quite complicated um, in that it was missed for quite a while. Mm. Um, but then I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Mm. And that was in January 2019. Okay, so that's a, that's a couple of years now since you've had that. You sound very young and you look very young, Amy. <laughs> How old are you? Thank you. Yeah, I've just been I've just turned 40 actually in December. Well, you don't look 40. <laughs> <laughs> which is a, which is a compliment for you there. So that is that quite young to be diagnosed at that age with ovarian cancer? Yeah, I think so. Um I felt quite young for sure, I have to say. Um yeah, I think so, but then actually when you suddenly immersed into this world you realize that cancer affects all ages actually you know children um you know young adults and, and adults and elderly yeah so it was a big a big shock for you I guess yeah 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 a massive shock so when you got your diagnosis what were your what your thoughts around it obviously it must have been quite devastating for you yeah it was really difficult and the first doctors I saw actually weren't particularly hopeful um, and I was living overseas at the time and yeah, they hadn't seen that type of cancer before. It was quite rare and they were all very surprised about it. Um, and so I actually ended up coming back to London. Mm. Yeah, and found a, um, a doctor who had seen it like twice before, I think in his 25 year career. Um, so still very, a sort of rare thing. Um, yeah, but he sort of, he, he was prepared to do the surgery actually, which the others weren't able to do. So that, that, that's the, the route was surgery, you had to go down that, that route, yeah. Yeah, I had a, sort of a big surgery um, because it had spread. So I had big surgery and then um, six months of chemotherapy. Mm. Gosh, that's a long time, isn't it? And did the chemotherapy make you, make you ill, make you feel ill? Do you know what? I had no symptoms with it, except I lost my hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're very lucky then. 
Yeah, I mean, the hair loss is quite devastating. Do you know what I mean? It, that's difficult, I think, for many. And I'm involved in these communities now. And it is quite a, it's a thing for women, I think, particularly. Yeah. Um, so that is quite difficult. Um, but I just, yeah, I didn't have any tiredness even or, I don't know, I kept waking up sort of expecting, you know, is this the day, this is the middle of the cycle where they say that you're going to start feeling ill and, you know, having all different symptoms. And I, I just never, never did. So, yeah, I think it was, you know, quite fortunate in that way but still challenging you know it's yeah it's not easy I had to travel up to London from Essex um, and you know you're there all day having these chemotherapy sessions and I think actually the whole experience is just very fearful to be honest yeah, yeah. so whatever sort of treatment you have yeah it's not an easy ride you know yeah. and what was your life, life like what what was what was Amy doing before before the diagnosis yes yeah, so I had my own business um, I was living in Ireland and working in sort of a corporate setting kind of um, in sort of HR and recruitment um, for Google was what I was my sort of main my main business and was that very busy very intense yeah it was in, it, it had I'd been more busy I'd say when I was working actually in-house and then I'd sort of set up my own on my own so I was working from home so I actually had um, had sort of taken my foot off the gas a bit already if you like and I'd lived out in Asia actually a few years before that and I'd kind of and I traveled for eight months and I think I'd, after that I sort of thought I don't really want to go back to that sort of corporate world particularly so I was doing a lot you know of different things and I'm, I'm very I've always been into very into sort of psychology and mental health and I've been done yoga for a long time and meditation for a long time and and that kind of thing so I was actually in really physically in very good condition when I went into it. So what was it about the corporate world that was sort of, sort of disenchanting for you at that time? Um I, I, mean, I, I loved it actually I have to say um, I really enjoyed I worked for a business like a um, one of the big headhunters that and that's where I you know I had a graduate role there and I was there for eight years and enjoyed it but I, you know I was living in London at the time for all of that time um, but I guess it's very busy isn't it we all know do you know what I mean it's quite hectic and you're not, not necessarily doing the things that you love you're doing things that you know you're you're sort of you know you're given the agenda aren't you quite often mm. so it wasn't actually really your passion no, not particularly, but I've always had a lot of side things on the go as well, because I've, I work for, with kids in care as well as a mentor. And I've done that for many years. So, you know, I've always had a lot of sort of voluntary roles as well, which I probably get more um, satisfaction from. And obviously you've got a little dog there. I can hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's two dogs having a little fight here, actually. <laughs> That's fabulous. Are they lockdown dogs? Are they dogs that you got? in? The, in no, they're, they're old. One's nine and one's four. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. So they're, they're getting on well together now. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Kind of vying for the top position by my foot, I think. <laughs> well, it's nice and warm there, I guess. Exactly. So you had your diagnosis in 2019, is that right? Yeah. Uh, and that was followed by surgery, you said, and some and, and, and chemotherapy. And then what was yeah. the diagnosis after that? Yeah. Well, I since they they, they managed to get it all it seemed with the surgery so I had sort of clear scans after the surgery and I've continued to have clear scans since then so a sort of year and a half of clear scans which I, I don't know I mean yeah oncologists are quite hard to sort of draw a smile from I would <laughs> say. although I do try <laughs> but a lot of them are quite you know they're quite cautious types and they don't like to overpromise. um you know and that's you know that's fine and it was quite interesting actually when I met with this new oncologist and I talked about the sort of prognosis I'd received before and, and he sort of said well I don't think that's you know particularly helpful because you know we can't read the future you know I'm a doctor but I can't predict the future 
and and that was sort of and it was quite a powerful sort of thing for me and I sort of thought you know yeah okay it's 50 50 I can kind of handle those stats and I never really looked into the stats any more than that um you know I was I preferred to sort of make peace with that I don't know if you know what I mean rather than try and figure out what's exactly is going to happen and I still sort of live like that now honestly as well so it's interesting that you say you're, you're in, in, in your website as well, that you decided that you would make peace with this diagnosis that you had, which I, I'm really quite fascinated by because, um, you know, I, I, you know, cancer is everywhere. And I, I know people that have cancer and, and I've spoken to people with cancer and the whole kind of um, the whole kind of feeling around it is I've got to fight this. You know, I've got to absolutely fight this. This is, you know, this is awful. I'm going to do um every fibre in my body is gonna, gonna fight this and destroy this. Um, and yet it, it feels from you and from, from what you're saying and also from, your, from what you said on your website that you had a very different approach to it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really tough experience, I think. And it's also probably very personal to some extent as well as in like what sort of state of mind you come into it in. You know, I think you really have to listen to yourself actually as well. and 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 yeah and be guided by your like inner teacher if you like or you know how do you really feel about this and what do you think is the best approach that's going to help you because I think having that belief and sort of confidence is very important in whatever way you choose to tackle it you know um but for me it was yeah it was it was quite clear that like the fight wasn't the issue because I'm quite a, I've always been quite a driven competitive person it, it, sometimes to my detriment actually I would say and that's what I'd sort of discovered like over the five years sort of leading up to cancer that you know I'd, I'm also quite a sensitive person and actually being driven and competitive it wasn't always um, helpful to me mentally I have to say um, and so my whole journey sort of five years before I'd been about relaxing actually and letting go of that sort of driven sort of performance side of me if you know what I mean and I just thought yeah, I don't want to go back to that actually. And so, but I know I've got a fight in me. I mean, I'm like, I'm, I've been into competitive sports and, you know, a reasonable level and all of that sort of stuff. So I've, I know that that is in me, but for me, it didn't feel like that was what the experience was going to be about or what would help me. Mm. How did you know that? How did you, how did that manifest itself? How did you? I think I'm, I'm quite a sort of self-reflective person, I suppose, and quite into, like I've done a lot of therapy. I'm into psychology. I'm, I mentor kids. In, in psychology and with their mental health and that kind of thing. So I'm quite, and I've, you know, I read a lot and I'm, you know, actually in my job, actually in HR, you know, there's a lot of sort of mental health and, and stuff like that in leadership development in terms of how to work together and, and those sorts of things and look after yourself. So I sort of had a good grounding, I suppose, of experience in that world. And, and actually one of the thoughts that came to me when I first got ill was like, I wanna enjoy something about this. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting take on it. Yeah. Like, I don't just want this to be like a horrible period. Like I want to enjoy something here. And my prognosis was very grave. I mean, let's like not beat around the bush with it. It wasn't a, it wasn't like a nice one where they were optimistic. In, in fact, it was sort of quite the opposite. Um, and so I thought, well, I, even though you had a, a, a really horrible pro prognosis, you you were determined to find something positive around it. Yeah, and I think I thought that, like, when the doctors say they can't really help you, it's quite a sobering experience because I hadn't really dealt with much medical stuff before this, honestly. Mm -hmm. And so I always assumed that doctors would always be able to help you. <laughs> yeah. 
and it was quite it was very shocking actually to be told we don't know if what will if this will work mm. and and it kind of you know it, yeah i mean and it, and there was despair i mean you can't like lie about these sorts of things you know what i mean it was very very difficult um and i kind of went into that despair as well at the beginning at least and was just in a bit of a state about it like a lot of fear and anxiety and like this need to like control the future and not being able to cope with the unknown and all of that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, and then I had this experience actually, which I'll tell you about, which was quite like a sort of profound sort of experience for me. Um, yeah, please I'm, do. I'm quite, I'm quite a visual sort of person and I, you know, and I, I do a lot of meditation. I'm quite fine to go inward and, you know, have these sort of experiences. And I was, I was having a lot of despair actually for a time and I was, had a really bad day. You know, this is before I had the surgery and before I even knew that surgery was an option. Um, and I was sort of, you know, very upset, crying on the sofa, these sorts of things. And um, yeah, and then and then this question sort of popped into my head and it was, has despair taught you anything before? And I was like, where did that come from? You know, like when it's not a thought you'd had before, it was very strange. It wasn't me. And then it said, um, have you ever got to the end of despair and found answers? And I was sort of thinking about it and I was, you know, it's quite easy and it made me laugh because I have been in despair before as well. This wasn't my first sort of experience like of it. And I just had to sort of laugh and say, no, <laughs> despair has <laughs> never taught me anything before. Like I've never got to the end of despair and found answers. And maybe it was quite personal to me, but it was a very funny question to be asking me. Mm. And then I had this like visualization and often when I was in despair, I felt like I was in this big sea, do you know what I mean? And the waves are like getting me and, anxiety and fear and grief and you know I'm trying I'm this little body trying to keep above the water you know quite desperate actually and um and then I sort of when I had that question I kind of saw this like jetty and I like a you know a wooden structure and I was like oh you know what I can climb out of this sea I don't have to be in these emotions I can there is a place of safety like I can go onto that pontoon and I can just sit and I can rest mm. and it was really powerful and I sort of did that and then it was actually a really sort of defining moment for me because from there on in really I, I knew that I had this place of safety sort of in me where I could go and I could be safe and all these you know I wasn't avoiding the question or the, the feelings and the, the stuff that was coming up I was witnessing it and you know accepting it but I just wasn't being overwhelmed by it. Yeah that sounds lovely because it's very similar to to for example like mind, mindfulness meditation which is um, something that, that that i that i teach at the isborn and it's it's around this idea of not becoming so immersed in your despair and your emotions that you know you you've like you said you feel that you're completely overwhelmed and there's nothing to nothing's going to help you but but sitting on the jetty <laughs> being a little bit more objective um, and being able to view it from a, um, a slightly safer place or a, a place where you feel you've got some kind of stability um, actually puts a whole different sort of perspective on, on, on everything in life. Yeah, you, it doesn't, doesn't suddenly become, become you, you're able to actually see it. Um, mm. Is that how it felt for you? Yeah, I think so. I think that describes it really well, actually. And it, it was just this, like every time, you know, because anxiety does come at you, doesn't it? And it and you panic, I think, you don't know what to do, right? And then when these feelings would come, I think it's okay, I can stay on the platform. <laughs> like literally, that's what I was saying to myself. It's okay, I don't have to be in that. And I, and I never really lost that sense of safety actually after that. So, so you, 
you talk about making peace with the diagnosis. You want to be feel peaceful around it. Is that something you've managed to achieve? And how have you done that? Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, I, I think, um, I guess, like in any experience, you sort of think about your goals, don't you, I suppose, or what, you know, how you want to be um, and what you want to feel like. And I didn't um, know if I would survive, honestly, like that wasn't really a guarantee. Mm. Um, and so I think many people, like when you have cancer, all you want to do is to survive. And, you know, I thought if I'm trying to survive, I definitely didn't feel good when I was trying to survive. <laughs> Actually, I felt really bloody horrible. Mm. You know, it was, it was very desperate because I didn't know if I would. So I'm trying to fool something that I don't know if it's possible to happen, you know, and I, and I didn't, yeah, I didn't, it wasn't, I didn't have confidence, but I had a lot of fear and a lot of grief and I didn't want to just ignore that and pretend I'm going to be okay because I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. And so I kind of thought to myself, like, you know, what do I want? And okay, you know what I do want? I want to feel peaceful. I want inner peace. And maybe I want inner peace more than survival. And actually I recognized then, I started to recognize that survival was actually like a barrier to peace for me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I let go of the need to survive actually. And, and when you do that, a lot of stuff comes up, obviously, like this desire to be there for loved ones, you know, and it's very primal, isn't it? That need to survive actually is. And so then I was like, okay, well, that's all coming up now. So what I need is tools that are gonna help me deal with this horrible feelings that I'm feeling about that, the fear and the grief. And, and I sort of thought, you know, I hope maybe there are things I can use that can help me deal with that stuff. And you found those things? Yeah, <laughs> I have actually, <laughs> amazingly and quite surprisingly. <laughs> well, often when you put it out there to the universe and say, you know, um, I'm, you know, I'm giving up, I'm giving up this something, i.e., this desperate need to survive, then, then the universe will. You could hear actually hear what the universe has to say to you, you know, rather than your mind being completely oblivious to anything apart from survival. Something, yeah something else comes in to fill that space and and, and that's of, often what you need yeah absolutely and I there was like a sort of a letting go a sort of giving up but not not giving up of not giving up of like I'm, I'm not going to get better but giving up of I don't know what to do here you know what I mean like actually I don't know what I'm doing anymore like I thought I was doing okay and look at what's happened to me and you know I haven't got any answers anymore like and give you know giving up of my own sort of agenda if you like if you see what I mean on my own plan a bit yeah you surrendered exactly yeah that's a good way of saying it <laughs> and so what came in what 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 came in what answers yeah well first of all I was led to stoicism which was just a really incredible sort of transformational like theory really for me that I hadn't really heard of before um, I'd heard of Seneca actually, and I'd heard of a couple, like, well, actually only Seneca, I think I'd heard of, but I didn't really, and I'd heard of Stoic philosophy and, and the word like stoical, but mm. I hadn't, I didn't, you know, although I'm quite into psychology and philosophy, I hadn't really like got into it before, you know? Um, so that was quite new. And that, that actually came about on the back of that experience where I had this, um, you know, where I found like the jetty and the place of peace. And I actually started to Google, um, like being having these emotions but not being consumed by them I think I googled something like that and it came up with stoicism <laughs> <laughs> good old google <laughs> yeah exactly and that was the beginning really <laughs> so tell us a bit more what you discovered about stoicism it's a, it's a it's a 
Roman philosophy, isn't it, or started in Rome, is that right? Yeah, exactly, Roman, Greek, um, yeah, and it's sort of 2,000 years old, so, you know, similar time as the Christian Bible, do you know what I mean, or even yeah. before that, um, so very, very ancient, yeah. and it, it's quite incredible to think that, like, these ancient um, people have got things to share with, like, a modern woman in the 21st century, you know, it's quite, it's quite crazy, and for me, actually, like, stoical, when we think of, like, stoic, we think someone that is uncaring, maybe, or um you know doesn't feel their emotions and as you say just gets on with it but that's like what it looks like on the outside but actually there's like an inner the inner world of the stoic is the thing that I was sort of more interested in and the thing that I sort of latched onto if you like and, and what helped me um yeah and it's it's really around um like like not it's really around sort of non-judgment actually so not judging situations mm -hmm. and um actually taking back the power for yourself and not being at the whim of what seems to be happening in your world, but realizing the power you have in the ability to perceive and interpret. Oh, okay. So it's a very, very empowering practice that, yeah, that, that puts it back onto you, if you see what I mean. Mm. So when, you know, bad, difficult things happen, um, rather than sort of thinking, oh, this is terrible, you know, why has this happened to me? What do I do about it? And trying to fix stuff in the world, you focus on changing your mind about what you're seeing or experiencing. And how did that look on a practical sort of day-to-day -day level for you? How did it? Manage? Well, I, yeah, it's, it, it can be a complicated philosophy to get into because it is so old and there's so many different translations and um, there's many, many, many books on it. And, you know, lots of people have different experiences and interpretations of it themselves as well mm. um but i i kind of started with just the quotes online actually so you can just google stoic quotes and they all come up in a very simple format mm. um so i started reading through them and and they were really powerful um and really it's about like what stoicism is it's about like your value you know it's not the it's not the external situation that is causing your suffering it's your interpretation of it so it's your values your beliefs and your judgments that are causing your pain not what's happening and we actually all know that's true don't we yes it absolutely is true but I, it's interesting because that's a very similar thing to 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 what mindfulness meditation is doing it's sort of saying you know um there are different realities and different ways for you to be able to look at this situation that you're in there are um you know possibilities of different possibilities here um how can you uh, adapt and change your mindset and I think a lot of people intellectually get that, but it's the putting it into practice that I think they find difficult. Do, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I like what I've learned through this whole journey is that the practical application is the thing. <laughs> and actually you end up not just doing it in your 30 minute meditation, but you, you, you can use it in every single moment of your life. And then you always have the peace. Yeah. But you know, that's been a journey for me to come into that awareness and, you know, and you know be willing enough to accept that that is the way it has to be done <laughs> yeah and can you give me an example of when that's happened for you when you when, when something's come up and and you've dealt with it and you've gone back and thought oh yeah that's i put into practice there's something that i've you know i've learned about you know stoic philosophy yeah definitely i mean why don't i just share a couple of quotes perhaps that are really powerful to me and i actually like use the quotes and i I'll, show, I'll tell you like how I use them as well. Yeah, um, but the one that really is just the one that makes me go, oh, I'm okay, I've got some power here. Like it's not all lost, is um, Epictetus, which just is, is amazing for me and I absolutely love it. 
So it's do not hope that every situation goes your way, but hope that you can go with every situation. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yes, I like that. So that, that's amazing, isn't it? Yes, it is. And also it's interesting because um, when we think about empowering, sometimes we think that being powerful means that you can control situations. You just mean that you have um, that you are fighting to control what happens and or what, you know, the situation that you're in, that you are um, directing it in a way. And yet what that's saying is that in the in the giving up of that, something else, some other power comes in into play. Yeah. yeah and that's and that that quote really is like the fundamental belief of stoicism which is you know actually only your values beliefs and judgments are in your control Ever, nothing else is and maybe that's true maybe it's not but it definitely starts with that doesn't it like it starts with you and if you believe in the power you know or experience the power of the mind to create your reality well you, you don't start with what you see you start with who you are or how you feel and how have your beliefs and values, how have they changed and altered since you've been through this experience and found Stoic philosophy? Yeah, so I think Stoicism was definitely like the starting point for me, um, but it wasn't enough, I have to say. Like I, I, I went on and found more things, but it was a very a really um, big sort of game changer for me. And if anyone wants to look at Stoicism, I would say like check out the quotes um, online just with a very simple Google. Mm. Um, and there's also another guy who writes really simple um, books about it and translations and it's a guy called Sam Tarode mm. and they're just very simple um, translations of Epictetus's books and also Marcus Aurelius's books so yeah. that the three sort of main people in Stoicism really are Seneca, Marcus Aurelius and um, Epictetus mm. so you can google them and you can start and how I do you know what how I use it actually is that quote that I use um I imagine like I'm with Epictetus he's my teacher he's my trusted teacher and he's got his arm around me and when I'm upset he says Amy do not hope that every situation goes your way hope you can go with every situation and I literally like use it like that in a moment of distress mm. yeah so it's very powerful and there's other amazing ones like Seneca um another good one that was for me was it's not death that is frightening but the fear of death that's frightening you know quite powerful um and another one would be something like it's not the situation that causes your distress but your interpretation of the situation you know yeah so often it's it's those kinds of um wonderful quotes they kind of um they kind of just settle in you don't they they kind of they kind of open doors for you or it's it's not like a grad it's not like a huge right i'm suddenly going to change this and and do it this way but it has a kind of more subtle growing effect inside of you yeah yeah and i think when you're you know when you're in in distress actually having something that helps in that moment is the thing that you know that's very powerful isn't it and you actually it's not just a theory or a concept you're actually using it in a moment of distress to help you and i think then you see its power and you become more open to you and you just it's a practice then that you use you know do you ever have times well i can remember this very much when i was going through some some difficulties in my life you know i used to have um, um a lovely buddhist teacher called pema chodron who used to um uh, she's she's a buddhist nun 
and I used to love her books and things. And sometimes I'd be going through distress and I'd be finding, you know, uh, I'd, be, I'd be in some sort of despair uh, and there would be a lot of judgment there and there'd be a lot of blaming there. Um, and I could hear her, you know, sitting on my shoulder, a bit like your, <laughs> your, your philosopher with his arms, arms around you. She would sit on my shoulder, you know, sort of whispering into my ear, Catherine, is this, you know, is this really true? Is this really what you want? And sometimes it would, it would do exactly what it needed to do for me, which was to give me peace. But other times I would just flicker off my shoulder <laughs> and just say, you know, don't want to go there. I just want to sit in a little bit of righteous indignation. I just want to sit in a bit of despair. Is that a similar thing that you find sometimes? Yeah, well, do you know what? I think that um, it's really interesting that you bring that up. And that sort of makes me think about this sort of positivity thing in cancer and how you have to be positive. Well, actually, I don't I don't subscribe to that, ascribe to that at all. Mm. Um, because, you know, how can you be told, oh, you might die? Oh, great. Yeah, I'm really positive about that. Mm. It's not real, is it? No, it's not. No, it's not real. And I'm and I wanted to get and I had to be very honest with myself about that. And I think, yeah, there is sometimes a like you want to put a brave face on for other people sometimes and not to drag them with you because you want to try and protect your loved ones and and that kind of thing. And that's absolutely fine. Like, you know, put on that brave face. But I always think to, to, when I'm talking to people and sharing and talking about my experience, I always think, you know, don't fall, don't try and fool yourself yeah. because all these feelings, you know, we are dark and we are light. Right. We're not all light. And pretending that we are is just denial, really. And actually the gift is in the darkness, isn't it? And, and having those moments of like despair and fear, actually you have to, in my experiences, you have to go through that to get to the light, you know, otherwise you're never gonna move forward. Like you're not gonna always wanna do this stuff and there is resistance and, you know, sort of accepting that resistance you know, and, and, you know, having days where you do, you make massive mistakes and you, you know, hugely, you know, you might be very regretful about some of the things you said or how you talk to yourself or whatever it might be. But the, the power of this stuff that I'm sort of, that I've learned is it's an internal process and that you have a bad moment, but do you know what? It's in your power to have a better moment in the next moment. That's totally in your gift. And you can, and actually amazing tool for that is, is self-compassion actually, which I also got really into. Mm. Um, that is a way to turn around that you know the situation but also you know except yeah you're going to feel terrible and actually having this stuff coming up that's the healing actually that is what healing is is mm. facing into all that stuff and what we need actually in mental health and in cancer and probably in our lives is is a tools that we trust that can help us to look at all that darkness and 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 bring it to the light you know mm. and I think if I'm honest with you I feel like um, you know, you talk about the East and stuff, and you're obviously really experienced in this. But my other thing I've learned is I think our base level for, you know, what we say is good mental health is pretty poor in this country, <laughs> or maybe all for, in every country, you know, like we, we put up with a lot of mental health distress and think it's normal. And I think, you know, we need to elevate what, you know, what we call a, a, the base, you know. Mm. Where would you like to see that base elevated to? Well, I think that the, I mean, there has to be a lot of acceptance in the sort of, in the brutality of the human condition, actually. <laughs> you know, you've got to look at that, you know, and I've gone very deep with all this stuff because I, I, I wanted help, <laughs> mm. you know, and I think I, I, yeah, I have gone very deep and, you know, the human condition, you know, is one of, of despair, actually. Like if, if you live your life thinking you're going to die, which, you know, most of us do, um, you know, at some point, 
death is a sort of certainty for many of us. Yes, it's the only important thing, isn't it? When you when you're alive, as soon as you're born, the only thing you know it's going to happen is, is you're going to die. <laughs> yeah, and you have to ask, don't you? Can I really be happy in that with that with that in that paradigm? <laughs> mm. You know, and I think and death's a really interesting one because I've looked at you know death, fear of death was one of the things that I had to cope with actually, um, and look at and. Um, and accept but you know accept through looking at all of my fear and grief and anger about it all and I think if you can do that you do end up sort of find ways to transcend it and my mind is completely changed about death now I don't believe in I don't I don't it's not even a belief really is it it's um yeah I don't I, my body obviously won't always be here probably and I won't always be on this planet or this plane or whatever you want to call it but I, I believe in eternal life and 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 I have a spiritual I attach more to my sort of spiritual self than my human self, if you know what I mean now. Mm. So do you think you've found more peace, Amy, now? Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I've learned what the barriers to peace are, I think, and I can recognise them in myself and I have tools that I can use to, um, to, to deal with them. So, yeah. And what are the barriers to peace? Uh, judgment. Okay. <laughs> judgment, separation. Yeah. Yeah, thinking that we're like all alone and separate from each other in this place. Um, yeah, they're, they're probably the big ones. Well, I think separation sort of leads to judgment, doesn't it? Yeah, judgment of self and judgment of others, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's huge. So do you find you have more peaceful moments than despair moments or is it pretty equal or? Um, yeah, I, I, well, do you know what? I think you can't, I would never say that I'm never going to have like despair again because who knows, like, I don't know what the future holds, you know, it's, it, it, you know, I don't have total power over that. But what I do have is tools that I can use to, um, to heal. And so when I have despair, you know, this is probably a good sort of stoic way to look at it as well, rather than, you know, be upset and angry and resistant. That I'm having that despair. To me, it's a healing opportunity. Yeah, and I and so I use like like self compassion. I think we sort of talked about is an amazing tool for um, just it's a very different way of dealing with something. So you know, normally when you feel ill and you sort of judge yourself, oh, why do I feel like this? Oh, I'm such a loser. You know, why do I feel like this? What's wrong with me? How come everyone else is okay and I'm not okay? Or the other way to deal with it is it's okay because I'm going to get a new job or it's okay because I'm going to get that promotion or it's okay because I'm going to make sure, you know, my kids are more happy or whatever it might be. And what you do with self-compassion is rather than trying to change something in the world, um, you, 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 you focus on your distress and you come to your own aid with love basically. So you stop doing everything. You stop trying to solve the problem and you like love yourself and you, there's a late, really amazing um, lady called Christine Neff. Mm, yeah. Do you know her? I do, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she's a professor, I think, in psychology in Houston, isn't she, at Houston University? And she's written a book called Self-Compassion. I think it's something like Stop Beating Yourself Up and Leave Insecurity Behind. Mm. Um, and that was an amazing book for me. And she talks about creating like a self-compassionate dialogue so that when you're suffering, you have this dialogue like it, it's quite sort of you know feels quite formulaic in a way but you just use it and you you write it out and it, you use words that are meaningful to you like terms of endearment mm. you know so mine was something like um yes my darling this is really hard and every worry yes my darling this is really hard mm. another worry yes my darling this is really hard 
and her sort of theory and her, I think she's done a lot of research into it as well is that you sort of yeah you come to your own aid with like loving words and you also accept that suffering is part of the human condition and you know isolation is a really big issue in cancer and that's how I felt I felt very isolated like there was something wrong with me mm. um and she talks about um like accepting that suffering is part of the human condition and then joining with others and think about others suffering so in your moment of suffering because I've got cancer you know I think about a mother that's lost her child or someone that's lost his job or someone that's going through a divorce and I think yeah we're all suffering you know aren't we we're all suffering and it, and it fosters this sort of connection in you mm. it's quite amazing and it's sort of like it, it, it you can like love kind of like starts to bubble up in you and you think yeah I'm going to love myself through this I'm going to love all those people and let me feel that love flow from me you know mm. and it's very healing and how have you found your relationships with with others have, have changed since you've been going through this? Yeah, I mean, I would say this has been like an internal journey, actually. Yeah. And, you know, maybe not everyone around me is would subscribe to this sort of stuff actually at all. Um, and they, you know, they kind of don't need to because it's it's a personal um, mission mm -hmm. <laughs> to, for peace, you know. Um, but I think that yeah, I mean, I, I like to, well, I know, actually, you know, I, I suppose I made it as easy as possible for them in some ways, because I was doing a lot of this myself. And, you know, this stuff, like, you know, with meditation, it's going off to a quiet room, <laughs> and sitting quietly, and maybe, you know, having like trauma and the tears come, but you kind of do it on your own. Um, but I also like, obviously have very good friends and family, and I would sort of talk to them as well. Has it um, changed but, your relationship with them? Has it changed your perception of them? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would say, like, when you do all this stuff, you sort of start to recognise your own judgments, actually, and how they are harming you. <laughs> and actually, you know, it's, you, you know, by condemning others, you're also condemning yourself, like, if you, if you end up sort of subscribing to the kind of more like the oneness way of living that we're all joined, um, you know, whether you're condemning yourself or someone else, you know, you're kind of the same person. So, you know you're you're hurting yourself with that and just learning you know not to do that actually or to recognize it and give it away rather than holding that condemnation mm. so i think yeah my relationships have, have been good and I'm, i probably put um i probably put less emphasis on them in a funny way actually and less less need and less expectation of them i don't need someone else to sort me out like i'll do that for myself oh that's fantastic tell us a bit about this charity that you set up, it's called uh, Carousel, is it? Yeah, so I have a website. Um, I think I just sort of wanted to share some of these tools that have, have helped me, actually. Yeah. And I've, I've, through this process, I've sort of read a lot and learned a lot. And maybe I'll probably just keep adding sort of more book reviews and, and you know, more, more tools on there. Um, but it's really to help anybody um, who has trauma. And my experience actually is that you know cancers a trauma but all traumas are very similar actually whether you're having a divorce or a bereavement or an illness you know actually trauma is is trauma really mm. and so these tools can be used for anyone but my my website at the moment is more specific for cancer patients mm. and anybody can ac access that and, and it's you know yeah it's um www.carouselmentalhealth.com Okay. Um, yeah, anyone can access it, and I, it's sort of a work in progress. You know, it's very, um, it's very sort of live and being developed. Yeah, right. And what's the one tool that you say has really made a difference to you? 
Is it the philosophy, the loving, the, the loving kindness? No, do you know what it is? It's, um, it's one I haven't mentioned yet, but it's um, Letting Go by David Hawkins. Mm -hmm. Do you know him? I do know, yeah, yeah. He's like my master. <laughs> I love that man. <laughs> yeah, he's, his book was a complete game changer for me. Um, and that's the one that I use the most, actually, I have to say. Um, and that really got me through some very, very hard times. Mm. Um, so his book's called Letting Go, The Pathway of Surrender. Mm -hmm. He's written many, many books. I mean, he was a um, psychiatrist and then psychologist and became more of a sort of spiritualist in his later years. Um, practicing from sort of 1950 until 2012 when he died. Mm. Um, have you read Letting Go? I haven't read Letting Go. No, I know I know David Hawkins, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I will go away and read it. In summary, what is it about it that really kind of captured you? Yeah, so he he gives you a methodology actually to use to, to when you feel these feelings. So he talks about like a scale of consciousness, and at the bottom you've got like shame, grief, anger, apathy, depression, fear pride and it goes up then to um that ends up with sort of you know love peace and joy at the top but you can't get to those ones at the top before you've dealt with all of this stuff at the bottom yeah. and he's very much like it's not about you know what happened in your childhood and in your past actually as a human you know maybe you have many many lives and you carry all of this grief and stuff in you and the things that you see are kind of triggers for it right yeah. and so you know the question isn't isn't like are you peaceful or not it's more when those feelings come up, what do you do about them? And, you know, the typical ways would be to sort of repress it and suppress it, you know, or express it. And I always thought actually expression was the best way of dealing with it. So I've got very good friends that I would go and vent to, or I'd have it out with somebody and that kind of thing, which, you know, can work, but you can also be left with a lot more guilt, actually, if you overload someone or, or you, you know, layer off at someone and you perhaps you shouldn't have done. So this is a way, he, he has a methodology where you, you know you close your eyes you sit quietly you invite those feelings to come up into your awareness and normally we want to run away so it's very difficult there's a lot of resistance to it at first but you allow those feelings to come up at you 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 say where you feel them on your body like often you feel things in your heart center mm. or maybe you feel it in your stomach or in your throat and it's quite illuminating and all you do is you just say you don't you know you, you try and let go of the conceptual mind a little bit so you don't um think about the problem and try and solve it. You just focus on that, okay, it's grief. Okay, this is how I feel grief. I feel it in my heart. It feels like a pressure. And you just say to yourself, I allow that feeling to come and you just allow it to flood your body. And it is incredible. <laughs> and does it stay for very long? I mean, I've done it for like hours and hours at a time. Yeah. And often you find is like behind that one feeling is another feeling. So often you might feel anger, but actually you realize beneath it is grief or fear so you you invite it all up and then you um you see what you can let go of and you say to yourself you know i, I let this feeling go and often you get a no you can't <laughs> i don't want to let this feeling go yeah. you know and that's part that's part of it too and then so you say okay well let, if i can't let go of it let me just allow it to come again mm. and it it, it it i mean it, it it's like an emotional sort of clear out i guess mm. yeah I think actually a lot of those things that you talk about, I think the underlying thing always is fear. Yeah, uh, you know, even anger is fear. You know, the under, underlying is a, is a basis of fear. Yeah, we do fear so much about things. Yeah, and, it's, and I think that for me is, is the thing. It's about like finding tools that actually work for you. Yeah. 
So you've got David Hawkins sitting on one shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> you've got your stoic philosopher sitting on the other shoulder. Yeah. You've got Christine Neff in deep in your heart. Yeah. Anything else? Exactly. Yeah. And then do you know where I was led eventually after all of this work and there was other ones that I used or was led to, but those three are probably very powerful ones. And the other thing I just want to mention is like it's quite organic like how you get led to things like I'm a kind of researcher by nature and I'm very into this stuff so it's quite easy for me to pick up a book and then oh self-compassion sounds interesting let me find out more about that and then find a book on that or I check out the big bibliography at back or often authors kind of recommend another author so I just like allowed this organic sort of development to happen you know of, of being led on this sort of journey and then eventually where I was led to was A Course in Miracles <laughs> which I've been practicing for about a year, just over a year now. Mm. And do you find that's, a, that's really helpful? Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. It's very, very deep, very transformational about um, being, a, you know, finding out who you really are sort of before you came into this existence, like, you know, recognising your holiness and your eternal self and, mm. and, you know, your eternal self that is really unconditional love and that's what, you know, God is in you. Mm. Um, and again like finding the barriers to everything that stops you from just being unconditional love and god mm. yes i bought the book the course of miracles and unfortunately it's been on my bookshelf gathering dust <laughs> um, for a while it's it's not an easy thing to get into but um yeah no and that's it i mean it's it's like that's what i learned through this process actually is like when you know when you're ready the right thing will come it's a very common phrase isn't it in this world and actually, do you know what? Letting go, interestingly, I had that on my Kindle for about three years. And I actually bought it thinking it was another book called Letting Go. And that, you know, and then that was like a seminal book for me, you know. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? How the, the universe will send it to you, but you won't, you won't look at it until you're ready. <laughs> no, and that's it. And that's, you have to accept that as well. Like every, everyone's in different stages, needing different things at different times, right? And it's, there's, you know that that's it isn't it there's no right or wrong in this sort of stuff it's it is a personal discovery mm. so what is the difference between the amy pre this and the well pre your diag your diagnosis and the the amy now that sits before us what's the <laughs> fundamental difference between them? apart from age and whatever else but yeah i would say i've always been very loving on the outside to family and friends um, but now that love is all that I am and I have it for myself and for others as one, you know, and that that's a big difference because I think before I knew how I was meant to be behaving and how I wanted to behave and what was loving, but I didn't always feel that deep, deep in me. I've got one last question for you. We ask this to everybody. Uh, who's been on our podcast and it is what one piece of advice has someone given you that you'd like to pass on to others yeah I think that um I'm going to give two if that's okay one that's quite practical that's okay. and then one that's more sort of spiritual <laughs> and the practical one actually was given to me by said to me from a psychologist in Ireland when I was very first ill and she said to me um just say yes and I was like what do you mean and she said whatever help you get offered just say yes can I do some washing for you? Yes. Can I make you a meal? Yes. Can I take you to an appointment? Yes. <laughs> and that, that I think it was a, quite an amazing bit of advice on a very practical level. Mm. That's great. Yeah. And then the other one, I mean, I mean, sort of, I would call A Course in Miracles is kind of like liquid gold for the soul. <laughs> Every line is, um, 
every line is profound and like you know how you might if you've got it on your bookshelf sometimes like how I use it sometimes if there's a problem I just open it and just read something and it you know it's you know you're being led to the right thing Mm. um but I think you know a bit of advice in that is you know you've always got the choice between love and fear in every moment and that's your power your power of choice is yours Which brings you back to your Stoic philosophers, yes, because you have a, you have a power of choice, don't you? Yeah. Do you want to live in fear or do you want to live in love? Mm. Well, I definitely know what I what I want to live in. <laughs> that, that's great. And I will go back, Amy. Actually, pick up my dusty old copy of A Course in Miracles and do exactly what you said. Just open it up at a page and see what it says. Yeah. Well, it's been lovely talking to you, and thank you so much for giving us your time today. It's been great. Um, thank you. Anything else that you think that we haven't covered that you'd like to like to say? No, that's brilliant. I mean, I guess if anyone's listening that has cancer or is having a hard time, I would say like go within, you know, you have the answers in you and do what you think is right for you. And if, if, you, if you're having cancer, especially like having sort of belief and confidence in the treatment plan, you know, in what you're doing is, is key. And for me, the mental health thing was the key, mm. you know, but for somebody else, it might be something different. But, you know, those answers are in you. Good stuff. Well, all the best, Amy, for the rest of your journey, wherever it leads you and wherever it takes you. Thank you so much. Yeah, and thanks so much for joining us this morning. It's been fantastic.